Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Welcome to another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today, returning guest, legend, historian, the man himself, Mr. George Shire. George, thank you for coming on again. I really appreciate it. I'm always excited to do your show. I'm excited, too. I learned so much when you were... When we're talking, it's 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 great. I love it. So, all right, folks. Today we got a special kind of edition here. We're going to talk about something different. Uh, so the ratings is what I want to talk about with George today. Basically, uh, how these ratings came about, how they how they're rated, and 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 things like that. So let's start out with. Kind of the background of this rating. How did this come about, especially in the magazines? You know, back in the day. Well, first of all, let me let me start with this. All right. Um, I, I was. It, it came came to me last night. We were looking at the Minnesota Twins baseball. A little mm-hmm. off wrestling for a second, but this ties in. We were looking at the Minnesota Twins, and you know, in baseball they have. Uh, three divisions in each league. Mm-hmm. So we, we, the Twins, are in the American League Central Division. And currently, as I'm talking to you, we are in first place in their little rating system of the five teams that are in the Central Division. Now, we have 30 baseball teams. And this will all tie into the wrestling that we're going to talk about. We have 30 Major League Baseball teams. And the Twins are in the AL Central Division. They are in a division of five teams. And mm-hmm. the Twins currently are in first place with a record, one loss record, of 26 wins, 24 losses. Now, I find that interesting only in the sense that, for all practical purposes, they're pretty close to a 500 baseball team. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, when you think of people on top, teams on top, and this will lead to wrestlers later, you you think they should have this great record. Now, here's the interesting part. The Twins are going to be starting a series of uh, the next baseball series here against the um, Toronto Blue Jays who are in the American League Eastern Division. Now, here's the fun part. In the Eastern Division, they have the Yankees, the Red Sox, obviously the Blue Jays. They have Baltimore. And uh, who am I forgetting here? It doesn't really matter. But here's the interesting thing. The Blue Jays who are coming in to be our next opponents, are in that division, and they are number five in their division, but they have the identical one-loss record that the Twins do, which is 26 and 24. So that's the interesting part of it is that in the central division, the Twins are, are number one, but if they were... The Blue Jays in the Eastern Division, they're number five. Yeah. And the Yankees, of course, I think are – well, they're, they're, actually, it's the, the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays. They're in the first place in the division by 36 and 15. Now, that's a okay. nice record. See, yeah. that's a nice record. Yeah. So we're, we're in kind of this mediocre division in the Central central Division here where, holy yeah. man, you know, we, yeah. might, we might win the division and be a 500 – or in baseball, it could work out. You could have a, a less than 500 record and be the division champion. That's always been bizarre to me. Yeah. Now, the reason I brought this up with the baseball analogy, Brian, was because back in the 
late 60s, early 70s. Actually, more the late 60s. I remember having conversations with people. They'd say, now these were generally not wrestling fans, but they Mm -hmm. would say, well, you know, in pro wrestling, you know, they have champions all over the place. You know, there's many world champions, you know, Mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter that you say Vern Gagne is the champion because there's other champions. Mm -hmm. Well, the interesting thing was is that back then, the baseball, we we didn't have 30 teams yet. We were more like maybe 24 teams in in the two leagues. But Mm -hmm. there was only one ranking for the American League and one ranking for the National League. And so if you were in first place, you really had a good record. And if you were down at team number 12, you know, I remember in those days, the Cleveland Indians at the end of the 60s, oh, my gosh. And, and yes, they were Indians still. They're the, they're the uh, guardians today. But yeah. the Cleveland Indians were like, they had a record like 12 and, and 47 or something. You know, they're in last place. They're never going to do anything, you know. Yeah. You just all you want to do is just go to the game for the hot dogs. So, what what I what I found interesting was is that yeah, some of these people that said, well, you know, there are many world champions or there are many champions in wrestling, they were telling us the truth. But the reality was, we only had. In reality, we had three divisions in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Sometimes four. The main one, of course, was the National Wrestling Alliance, which was the hugest conglomerate of recognizing a champion to go to different territories and defend the the title. Mm -hmm. And then we had the American Wrestling, in those days still Alliance, not Association. Alliance, yeah, yeah. And give or take, in the late 60s, it was Vern Gagne that was the champion. And then Mm -hmm. we had the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the WWWF, which was the early WWE, mm-hmm. and Bruno San Martino was the champion. And then sometimes the WWA, now this is late 60s, mm-hmm. you include Bruiser's Group, which was mm-hmm. Indiana-based, and that was the World Wrestling Alliance. But we also had a West Coast uh, version of the WWA. Sometimes it was referred to, it was World Wrestling Alliance, but sometimes they called it the Western Wrestling Alliance. And so we had three for sure, but sometimes four. So I thought it was interesting when on a recent uh, social media page, some of the wrestling pages, there Mm -hmm. was a, conversation going on, and you may have seen this, Brian. There was a conversation going on where someone was confused as to how the modern-day wrestler, The Miz, and everybody knows who The Miz is, supposedly, now this is just going from what I read. I don't know if this is 100% factual. This is what he had posted. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, In the last um, 23 dates that the Miz, uh, out of 23 dates that the Miz had wrestled, Mm -hmm. or out of 23 dates, he had wrestled 18 times, which is, you know, saying he's wrestling less than a day a a week or a day. You know what I mean? Right. He was wrestling off. So 23 dates, he had 18 matches, and the whole thing came around the fact that he was confused because the Miz's record was 0 and 18. In other words, (laughs) he lost all 18 of these matches. But here was his magic question. He didn't understand how a guy who lost 18 matches and no wins could be have a, a contract with the WWE earning two million dollars a year, mm-hmm. and that was his that was his beef. Mm-hmm. Well, I looked at the I looked at the comment and I thought, geez, you know, maybe this guy really believes wrestling's real. 
and that would make him not understand this. Or yeah, and more power to him if he did. I'd I'd love to see Case Babe return. Yeah. But the bottom line was is I couldn't help it. I had to respond to him, and and I was brief, but I said, "You're overlooking one fact. The Miz may very well have wrestled 18 matches and lost all 18 of them, but." The reason he has the $2 million contract is because the Miz puts butts in the seat. Or he is a star that draws money for the pay-per-views. And whether he wins or loses is not the, not the question. Right. So is he, if you tried to put him into the ratings and do rankings, well, naturally with an 0 and 18 record, we can't rank or rate the Miz yeah. as being a serious title contender or mm-hmm. being, you know, near a champion. So that's where all this kind of started. And when you and I uh, talked last week, we said, you know, what do we want to talk about? I thought, you know, this ratings mm-hmm. thing sounds cool, but then this thing came up on Facebook too. So I thought yeah. it was interesting. So here's oh. the deal. So go ahead if you have a question. No, I was just going to say, uh, you know, a lot has changed, and I know we'll get into it. Uh, so, you know, back in the day uh, when they had the 26 territories, you had the rating system in the magazines. It, it kind of like, you know, baseball, and, and, you know, you had 30 teams. You had less than that, but NFL, all that, they're all ranked. And I just uh, – I thought it was just interesting that this topic has never been really discussed that I've seen on on uh, a podcast, or if it has, I've never seen it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm so glad that you're on here today, and I and I didn't mean to jump in, and, and but I I want to hear it from you on. Okay, so let's get to the the meat and bones of this that well, the rating let's, system. Let's, Let's look at the obvious thing right up front. Mm -hmm. There was never any of the wrestling promotions, and in this case we'll just use the three or possibly four that we just discussed, WWF, AWA, NWA, WWA. Neither of these alliances, organizations, ever officially put out any type of ranking. Mm Mm-hmm or rating of their particular wrestlers. When you get to the magazines, which back in the 60s and the 70s were, for the most part, all of them were East Coast published, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. out in New York or whatever. And it was always interesting because if you picked up one of those uh, newsstand magazines, and we're just going to go till the, the 60s and the very early 70s. Okay. More than likely, Bruno San Martino was the guy listed as the champion or the top contender. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was the champion after 63. And that made sense because where they were published. So there was a certain bias there. You've got to buy into that, that they're published in New York. Naturally, the bias of the people doing the magazine, and that was the whole thing. The editors and the writers of the magazines, or in this case, the publishers, they decided who they wanted to push as being the top contender or the top Mm -hmm. wrestlers. I looked back. I thought this one was interesting to start with, and I'll hold this up. Oh, This is the January 1969 issue, or I'm sorry, the June 69 issue of Wrestling Review. And on the cover, they have the headline, which is Dory Funk Jr. wins NWA title. Okay. And Dory, uh, Dory Jr. had won that title back in February 11th of 1969. Now, with the news magazines, the issue is dated June the actual title change took place in February, but the magazines were always about three, four, five months behind as far as publishing goes. So if something happened today, you may not hear any 
thing about it, you know, for four months down the road in the magazine. Okay. So what was interesting was, is I looked in this magazine's rating page, and back in this day, Wrestling Review, they would just list the top. They didn't have alliances or divisions or anything. They had a ratings page, and they listed in this one the top 30 wrestlers. So here we are in the June issue mm-hmm. of Wrestling Review, and we've got the top 30 wrestlers ranked in their column. Here's the interesting part about it. Now, remember, Dory Funk Jr. is now the champion. Number one in the rating with no champions designated, just one through 30. Number mm-hmm. one was Bruno San Martino. Surprise, Champion Sports, <laughs> New York. That's where they're published. Okay. Number two was Vern Gagne. Makes sense, I guess. He was AWA champion in 69. Here's the interesting part. Number three was Gene Kaniski. And what's interesting about that is because in this issue, they're announcing that Dory won the title from Gene Kaniski, the NWA title. Mm -hmm. But in this particular issue, Dory Funk Jr., is rated number nine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so he he was he was still, even if Gene really was number three, if there was such a ranking, Dory in this particular publication was still rated six contenders under whoever and I didn't list the other contenders right. as in between Kaniski and Dory, but I thought that was interesting. And so it just tells you that the magazines just put together a group of names. Yeah. And some of them you could look at and you go, and I I did this as a kid. I look at him and I go, how can that guy even be rated? You know, he he doesn't even hold a title in any territory. He hasn't been to any of the big three territories. But sometimes they were trying to be fair and they'd include a person in there. Yeah. well, here's the ones that were rated above Dory, who I said was number nine. Fritz von Erich, Ray Stevens, Bobo Brazil, Lou Thez, who wasn't even wrestling much or regularly at the time, and Dick the Bruiser. Those were the yeah. guys rated above it. So, all right, so I just found that interesting that they would just pick 30 wrestlers and what you have to remember is that back in 1969, Brian, mm-hmm. I said this. We had around 3,000 wrestlers that were working these 25, 26, 27 territories just around the United States. That's not mm-hmm. counting those that worked in Australia and Japan and Germany so on, yeah. New Zealand. So we had 3,000 wrestlers. And to try to come up with the top thirty, yeah, no, that isn't even that isn't even ten percent of what, you know. Yeah. So the the bottom line was is the ratings were bogus. But here was the good part, is that as a wrestling fan in that era, when you mm-hmm. bought that magazine from the store, you know you see it sitting on the newsstand rack, you yeah. grab it. And as any situation with a magazine, I'm interested right away because, oh, my gosh, it's showing the Dory story. And I had Mm -hmm. known by that time that Dory had won the title by June or when this magazine came out. But um, it was the editor's opinions as to who who was number one, number two, three, four, et cetera. The promoters themselves, the promotions themselves never – listed any ranking. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get ahead of you, but uh, what about tag teams? You know, when I was a kid in the 80s, they had the top 10, then the top 10 uh, 
wrestlers, and then they had the top ten uh, tag teams, and then they would have it by uh, territory, you know. And I don't want to get ahead of you too much because I'm, I'm sure you're no, going to get into and that. No, actually, actually, you're tying right into what what is okay. Kind of so, next in my thoughts. Okay, so when did that come about, and how do you think that did come about? Well, first of all, again, each magazine that was published now back in the late '60s and the very early very early '70s, mm-hmm. the magazines that we had on the market was Wrestling Review, which I just showed you a copy of. We had Wrestling World, and we had Ring Wrestling, or it was The Ring Wrestling was the title of the magazine. And then it was in the very beginning formation of what was going to become later on, a decade later, known as the After Magazines. But we had the early versions of The Wrestler Magazine and Mm -hmm. Inside Wrestling Magazine. Mm -hmm. There was a magazine here and there that would show up, but those were the primary ones. Wrestling Review, Wrestling World, and the Ring Wrestling with these these newcomers coming in, the wrestler and the inside. And with regard to tag team, I told you, you kind of led into this. Okay. It's not very often that I even prepare stuff like this. But I hold up <laughs> this issue of Wrestling World. Okay. And this one is cover dated February 19. 19- 66. Okay. Now, one of the headline stories right here is Hennig and Race were highlighted as being one of uh, wrestling's most hated tag teams. So naturally, mm-hmm. there was a story on Hennig and Race in February of 66, which means this magazine was on the newsstands probably, if you go back three or four months before that, it was around October of... Uh, 65 is when this magazine would have been available. Now, truth be told, in October of 65 or thereabouts, Larry Hennig and Harley Race, they were one of the top tag teams. The interesting thing about tag teams was there were always teams that would hook together and stay together for a period of time. Let's put some longevity between them. Hennig and Race yeah. had been together as a team since October of 64. So a year later, when this magazine would have been coming out dated February, but it would have come out in October thereabouts of 65, Hennig and Race for a solid year had been drawing like you would not believe in the AWA. Mm-hmm. By all means, they were a top team. Every AWA card had Hennigan Race on them, on it, and they were, they, you know, whether they won or they lost or got disqualified or whatever the story was, they were drawing money. And with that, I'm going to throw a sideline in. I remember Larry Hennig telling, he said, you know, Harley and I didn't have that great of a wrestling record but it didn't matter whether we won or we lost what was important is that the fans wanted to see us get beat if they saw us get beat they wanted to see us get beat again so they'd come back (laughs) they were that good that so in other words they could lose as i used my Miz example early they could lose every night in every town which when I look at their results, Brian, because I've got their results chronicled, when I look at them, yeah, they lost a lot. But it was the money. It was the draw. I mean, who didn't want to see Pretty Boy Larry and Handsome Harley get their behinds handed to them night after night when they're bragging about how beautiful they are and how, you know, they're building a monument for us and We've got the faces of the goddess of love and the minds of Einstein and the bodies of Hercules. You know, you want to see him get beat. So that was the key. So in this particular magazine, now, I bring that one up because you mentioned tag teams. Well, Mm -hmm. in Wrestling World, 
they did start, I think they were one of the first, where they had three little sections, blocks, in there on a page, and they'd have the American Wrestling Alliance, the National Wrestling Alliance, the WWWF, it was still in those days. And they would list the top 15 wrestlers in each, singles wrestlers in each of those columns. But for some reason, they only listed one box with the top 15 tag teams. Interestingly enough, those tag teams that were listed were not alliance or territory. uh, They were all over the place. So in this particular issue, Hennigan rates were actually listed with a picture as champs. And then they had the 15 challengers, the top 15 teams. Now, this is the interesting part. Of the 15 teams that were listed, mm-hmm. only Bruiser and Crusher, Igor and Ivan Kelbakov, okay. um, they were the only two AWA tag teams other than Hennig and Race, who were listed as the tag team champions. Now, they didn't say in the ratings that they were AWA tag team champions. They just said champions, Hennig and Race. So as a reader, as a fan back then, you look at it, you go, well, all the tag teams in the world, Hennig and Race are the world champions. And there was, truth be told, there were only two alliances at the time that were officially, uh, as a promotion recognizing champions. One was the AWA, and the other one was the WWWF. They would list their champions of the day Mm -hmm. in their promotion. So I looked down this listing of the 15 teams, and I said Crusher and Bruiser were, they were number two, actually. Actually, they were the number one contenders. That's what it was listed as, number one. But I found it interesting that Mighty Igor and Ivan Kilmakoff were listed Number six out of 15 as the top challengers. Now, going back to that one loss record, I can tell you for a fact that Igor and Ivan were drawing really well as challengers to Hennigan Race and some other, you know, heel teams in the territory, AWA. But they weren't winning. Usually what happened in in their matches, Ivan Kelmakoff would get pinned or lose the match somehow, you know, if he conceded or he got pinned or whatever, he was used as fodder to make Igor look better. And then Igor always had to get singles match for hurting his manager tag team partner, which what I, Ivan Kolov was. So to have them ranked number six, I thought was odd because generally they didn't win at all, (laughs) but they had Stevens and Patterson listed as number seven. Now, they were California-based at the time. They were only working in the Roy Shire promotion, which at the time was, um, they were still WWA, uh, World Wrestling Alliance out there. And uh, so they were rated number seven. But here's an interesting thing. They had the Assassins, which at that point would have been Joe Hamilton and uh, Tom Renesto under the masks. They were listed number nine, and they were only in the South. They didn't wrestle outside of Atlanta, Florida, whatever. Um, Another team that was listed, which I thought was really interesting, they were ranked number 14, and it was the Destroyer and Billy Red Lions. Now, what was interesting about their being ranked number 14 is they hadn't teamed together for about a year at this point. (laughs) <laughs> so how do you how do you remain in the ratings or the rankings if you're not even teaming? Yeah. And then there was one more that I thought was really interesting. The German team of Kurt and Karl von Brauner, who were huge at the gate. Let me tell you something. They wrestled uh, all over the South and in the Mid-South, and they were huge. They were ranked in this particular ranking as number two contenders. Again, supposedly the Hennigan race. But mm-hmm. what's interesting about it, 
is that the number 11 tag team ranked was the German team of Kurt and Skull, or Karl von Stroheim. Now, the reason that's interesting is because one of the von Brauners was also one of the von Stroheims. <laughs> okay? So, in other words, yeah. he gets ranked twice. <laughs> um, that's the way those ratings worked. And they had the Miller brothers ranked in there. They had the Tolos brothers. Um in 1966, Murphy and Bernard are listed. They were a hot team. But it was, as you say, in this particular case, for some reason, Hennigan Race got the nod. Now, it also yeah. could be, who knows, because of this particular issue, Hennigan Race were the lead story about how hated they were. So it made mm-hmm. sense that they would be chance. Yeah, I have a question on that. So, you know, there's different teams and different people across the country ranked. And in those days, there was no social media. Uh, there was no, I mean, a telephone call was long distance, which cost money, uh, or, you know, telegrams. And, and so did they have people in those territories, like reporters or guests, that would kind of, I guess, hey, call in and say, like Henning and Race, for example, the tag team. These guys are on fire. I've got some pictures. I'll write up a story, send it out to you. Uh, You know, these guys are putting, like you said, butts in seats. Was that how it worked, or did they just, I mean, I guess how was that rating system? You know, we talked about who they were and stuff, but how did they get that information? I mean, did they throw a dart at the board? Or I mean, that's kind of my question on that. Start with the publisher of the magazine. Okay. Um, you've got your regular contributors to the magazine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to open up this because uh, this will help display explain this. Okay. Looking at this February for this June issue of Wrestling Review. Okay. Okay. So Wrestling Review again is published in New York by Champion Sports Publishing. Mm-hmm. The editor of the magazine was listed as Abe Glick, whoever that was. Mm-hmm. Lou Eskin was the managing editor. And then they had associate editors. There were four of them. There was Michael Glick, assuming he's a relative, uh, A, A period, wrestler, R-E-S-S-L-E-R, that's original. So I don't know if that's made up or not. I don't know this person. And then there was another uh, two-initial guy, B-P, last name, Averill. Okay. And a guy named Norman Keatser. Now, Norman Keatser, we know more about later on. But as I look at the stories, Earl Yetter, he was a photographer and a, Bridget, a British guy. I used mm-hmm. to correspond with him back in the late 60s. He wrote a, a column called The Listening Post. Then okay. we had um, a story by a guy named Phil Miller, who was mm-hmm. a real dude. Gene Gordon, who took pictures for the South Carolinas. I used to get programs from him. Um, Jeff Hansen, there's a name that's current today. I think he's still on Facebook. Um, Roger Baker, Dan Dillon, that's a name that I remember. These were guys that were kind of regular contributors to the magazine. Now, not all the time did they get paid. They may have just contributed a story, which kind of answers your question. You know, hey, I'm from Minnesota. I've got pictures of Hannigan Race, and I've been watching all their matches. You know, you do a story. Maybe you'd submit a story to them. They used yeah. to have the disclosure in there that anything that they uh, that they receive, they can't return. And, you know, whether or not you got compensated for it at the time, I don't know. Norman yeah. Keister was one of the regulars. And Norman was the one that sent the story in on – Hennigan race. Now, okay. later on, you'd see Norman 
name as an associate editor. Later on, he became the editor of and the publisher of Wrestling Review as we get into the early 70s because he went out to New York and worked for Champion Sports. But when he was doing stories, you'd see magazine stories by Norman, of course, and then there'd be stories by somebody named Pat Langer. There'd be stories written by Brett Norman. Well, Pat Langer was Norman's wife. He just used her name and put it on the story. Okay? Pat yeah. Langer, Pat Patty Keepser is who she was. She didn't write any stories, let me tell you. But Pat Langer <laughs> was her maiden. And Brett Norman, Brett was one of Norman's young sons. And at the time, I'm telling you, he wasn't old enough to even draw pictures yet. So he used the names. So that's kind of how it came about, that it ended up that sometimes an issue of a magazine could be uh, written by several people, it appeared, but they were probably one or two of the same people. Jim Mm -hmm. Melby, James Melby. Everybody can recognize that name. Well, Jim Mm -hmm. became an associate editor of Wrestling Review and later on of Wrestling Monthly, which Norman started while he was working for Champion Sports. Yeah. Jim used to write stories under his own name, signed James C. Melby. But he also, there were stories written by some guy named Larry Cranston. Well, that was Jim. He just pulled <laughs> out a name. I, there's no Larry Cranston, you know. And, and Jim also used um, Brenda Hammer was a story. And that was Jim's wife at the time, Brenda. Her pre, her maiden name was Hammer. And so Jim Melby would use, you know, write a story using Brenda yeah. Hammer. He also used, uh, sometimes used his daughter's name when he'd do a story. So yeah. sometimes it was just some of the same people using aliases. Nobody would ever know on that at the time. Did that answer your question? Yes, it did. All right. Now, my next one kind of goes later on in the years. And I had a conversation with uh, Bill Apter. This was two and a half years ago, probably uh, 2020. Now, he told me uh, later on that he would call these promoters at times and say, hey, they knew who the champion was, you know, if it was, uh, you know, Pedro Morales or San Martino or if it was Ganya Bockwinkle or uh, NWA, it could have been Harley Race or Flair or Dusty Jack. Anyways, my, my point is that he would say, okay, who do you consider uh, your top, your top 10 in, in singles? Because they started doing it by territory on, on, just besides the top 10, they would have the top uh, 10 in each territory. And I don't know if you've ever previewed that as far as, you know, you were a big AWA person. You know, you have a lot of history with them, and you were pretty close with, uh, with Greg and them. Or still are, I should say. And uh, I, I don't know if you were pervy to that information as far as, like, okay – these are our top ten. Does this seem legit? Or, you know, like you said, it was published out of New York, all of them. But Bill had told me that they started doing that a little bit. And if they couldn't get it, they would just kind of do it themselves. Are you well, aware of that? Or Yeah, that... yeah. And, and you know, Brian, okay. it worked like this. Really, it was easy by the time after was doing the magazines, when they were mm-hmm. going to go to their separate, you know, AWA ratings, NWA ratings that list the top 10 or 15, whatever they would list. I think normally their magazines were top 10. All you had to do, all you had to do was look, if you were at the AWA in 1970, let's just pull out a year, uh, 1971. You pull out 1971 and you look at the AWA and you say, okay, let's see who's in the AWA. Well, we had Vern Gagne as champion. Then we had Nick Bockwinkle. We had Ivan Koloff. We had, uh, uh, Ray Stevens, we had Hercules Cortez, we had Red Bastine, we had The Crusher. So you look down, you say, okay, well, here's, you know, eight or ten names. It's easy just to 
put them into the magazine in some sort of an order. It is possible that if he talked to, if after what is, I mean, I don't know if he ever talked to Vern Gagne. I can't imagine Vern even discussing it. But if he did, or Wally Carbo, they would say, well, yeah, the Crusher's hot here. He's he's selling out all over. Okay, well, then Crusher's, Mm -hmm. you know, it goes back. It almost goes back to that Miz thing that we just touched on. That you're yeah. gonna you're going to rank a guy who is drawing money. And with wrestling, you know, like we talked about our baseball analogy at the beginning. Well, those are mm-hmm. real concrete figures. The team right. won, the team lost. It's not a at least we don't think it is a rigged sport. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, but. Uh, my wife always tells me that she wishes she'd have known before I found, knowing me before I found out that wrestling was not real, and before there was a Santa, I didn't know there was a Santa Claus because I would have been a better person. Because now I think everything's rigged. I think everything's rigged. She goes, you, you watch too much wrestling. But whether or not they talked with Wally about that, I think it was easy just to say, uh, you know, the Crusher, Nick Bockwinkel, the guys that I mentioned for 1971. Well, yeah, sure, you're going to rank those top 10 guys, put them in some order. Mm-hmm. And logically, it could have been, you know, if you looked at the Crusher, at his mm-hmm. record, the Crusher didn't always win. The Crusher right. got disqualified. The Crusher got counted out of the ring. The, the Crusher lost because of some skullduggery from the opponent. But it didn't matter because the Crusher drew. The fans would always come to see the crusher. So he might have been the number one contender just based on that. The other thing about the ratings is that, again, when you pick up one of those magazines, Mm -hmm. you look at it and you say, oh, look, and it was all for conversation. Two fans, three fans sitting together, and you go, well, look, Bruno's rated higher than so-and-so. Well, I don't think he's that good. It, it, it was just conversation. It allowed them to discuss wrestling. Yeah. Whether or not the rankings or the ratings were factual or actual ratings, yeah. it didn't matter. It let the yeah. fans talk. Well, my guy's yeah. better than your guy. Look at he's rated above your guy, you know. Yeah. It was yeah. just, it was food for thought. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I'll tell you, um, you know, you and I are involved in the WFIA, the Wrestling Fans International Association. You know, we just started this a few months back, and we're getting this uh, newsletter going. And uh, you know, right now we're kind of in the uh, infamy of it, if you will, infancy. Excuse me. Infancy. Yes, wrong term. First time. Apologies. Uh, infancy of it. Hey, what did Roger Kent say? <laughs> what is why they put erasers on pencils? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, nowadays in the magazines, or magazine, because there's only like two now, uh, I haven't looked at any for a long time, but it's, you know, WWE, AEW, maybe Impact, but there's not really a, you know, back before 1990, there were 26 territories, and you had probably at least 10 of them listed in the magazine as a rating and then your top 10 of all from you know the whatever how they ranked the top 10 yeah. tag teams and top 10 wrestlers and then they had each by territory we're trying to get back to that but it's hard do you think that's a lost art as far as the rankings and ratings of today that they don't get those you know, because AW, they're all territories, right? They, you didn't have, uh, how do you say, a national exposure other than the magazines of these territories, right? You didn't have Worldwide Wrestling Federation in California because the only way you could get that information was either by exchange, like you used to do, programs, or the magazines. Do you think that's a lost art as far as the ratings go because – I think it is, personally. What's your thoughts on it? Well, I'm going to go back, as you say that, and I'm going to go back to the uh, Wrestling World magazine that I showed you here. 
yes. from uh, February of 66. So in their rankings, their ratings, as I told you, they had three boxes, AWA, NWA, WWF, and then they had just one box for the tag teams. Mm-hmm. Without looking, there may have been a women's division in here. I didn't. I haven't looked at the ratings, but there may right. have been a woman's listing of champions. I don't know. Um, but here, here's what was interesting about their um, their top fifteen. Let's just look at the AWA. Their okay. top fifteen rated wrestlers in that particular issue at the time. The Crusher was the AWA champion. Okay. Briefly, but he was the champion. They had Vern Gagne listed as number one challenger. They had Mad Dog listed as number two challenger, which made sense because those three, Crusher, Gagne, Dog, they exchanged the title sort of back and forth there for a year or so. Okay. But then they went down the list, and they listed guys that obviously were in the AWA. Now, here's the ones that I found interesting in the rankings of the top 15. Number one, they had Larry Hennig, or not number one. They had Larry Hennig listed as number eight. They had Harley Race listed as number 11 in singles ratings. Now, that was odd to me, Brian, because, yeah, they were stars in the AWA, but for all purposes, they were only a tag team. I mean, yeah, they had a singles match here and there, but they were a right. tag team. Yeah. So they, to be ranked as a singles challenger didn't make sense to mm-hmm. be number eight for Hennig and number 11 for Race. But this was even odder. They had as the number six ranked wrestler, mm-hmm. Danny Hodge. Now, we don't have to tell anybody that's in the know about Danny Hodge. This guy was the real deal. He was as tough mm-hmm. as they come. You, If you're yep. in a legit wrestling shoot, fight, match, whatever, you're not going to beat Danny Hodge. Yep. So, yeah, he should be ranked. But Danny Hodge was in the AWA like he'd come in and he'd wrestle a junior heavyweight match and he'd leave. Yeah. Or he'd come back a couple months later and he'd leave. He was not a regular. And he was a junior heavyweight. And by the way, he held the junior heavyweight title of the National Wrestling Alliance, legit at that time, working in the AWA, but it was never acknowledged that he was NWA. He was always just recognized as the world junior heavyweight champion. They never mentioned the alliance in front of it, which was interesting in the sense that technically you could say then that if the AWA was recognizing him as junior heavyweight champ, well, maybe the, he was the AWA junior heavyweight champ. They never put that in front of it either. But he was ranked, and I just thought it was weird that he was number six when he wasn't really going to ever be a contender to the heavyweight mm-hmm. championship. The other one that was interesting in the ratings was number nine, and it's actually listed in the magazine. I was happy to see this. It was listed as Crusher Kowalski. It wasn't listed as the big K. He was listed as Crusher Kowalski. But Crusher Kowalski, even though he was a great worker, a great wrestler, he could draw money. Mm-hmm. In 1966, he wasn't doing any of that as far as drawing money. He wasn't used high on the cards. He was in the preliminaries. He was losing matches, so he's ranked number nine. Now, here's one even funnier. Right below him is listed number 10, and it's a guy named George Catalina Drake. George Drake. Now, I look at it, and I go, out of 15 wrestlers, they rank George Drake number 10. And this just in, Brian, George Drake, unless it was a rare opener on a card, Mm-hmm. George Drake never won. He was a TV jobber. <laughs> now, he was a good wrestler, but yeah. Byrne, Byrne was not using him in any capacity of, of a push. He was used on TV from the Catalina Islands wrestling fans, George Catalina Drake. 
great worker, great look. So blonde, good-looking guy. Um, for you trivia people out there, if you look at the, I think it's the fifth episode of the Adventures of Superman TV show. It's called No Holds Barred. Look it up by the title. No Holds Barred. That was the title of the episode. Mm-hmm. And George Catalina Drake is one of the featured wrestlers in that episode. Okay. Okay. I like those little trivia things. There you go. But that comes off the top of my – that's why I keep my cap on. I don't want too much to get out. <laughs> uh, so George Drake, I look at that and I go, I don't know how he could be number 10. Because we still got five wrestlers to go, and he's ranked above Harley Race. Now think about that. The yeah. other one – the other one that I thought was really an odd one, number 12, Sonny Myers. Now, any longtime fan knows that Sonny Myers, Sonny Myers. He, was, he was a good worker. He was a good wrestler. He was basically a shooter. I mean, he was a tough dude. Yeah. Did he do anything in wrestling as far as he did hold some minor titles, but did he do anything to – to garner any real attention. He was more of a, a setup guy. He worked behind the scenes, an excellent worker. Yeah. But he wasn't working in the AWA at all. <laughs> and he's ranked number 12. <laughs> so I look at that and I go, I don't get it. Yeah. And then number 13, this is also odd. Ivan Kelmakoff is listed as the number 13 top challenger to then champion the crusher. Now what's odd about that one is that Ivan by 1966 was way at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. He had basically, as I mentioned earlier, been used as fodder for mighty Igor, who they were giving the singles push to. Mm-hmm. And whenever they wrestled in a team match, Ivan would work as Igor's partner but Igor, his glory days with his brother, his brother, Carol, were long gone. Yeah. And, you know, his championship years with Carol were long behind him. And Ivan was, for all purposes, semi-retired. And he never won a singles match at that point. <laughs> in. So they're ranking him number 13. And finally, the final odd one goes all the way down to number 15. And I would never want to doubt the credentials of this guy outside the ring or in the ring if he wanted to shoot. Yeah. For a little, he was a little guy. We're talking not a big guy at all. I'm yeah. talking about the great Eddie Shark. He okay. was ranked as number 15. But again, he was a junior heavyweight. He was yeah. never a heavyweight contender, and he was one of the reasons that Danny Hodge would come in once or twice over a period of time to defend his title. And Eddie Sharkey many times was the challenger to Danny Hodge. That's right. how those ratings worked out. And when you look at them, they made no sense. Yeah. Because the, <laughs> the only ones that were really, uh, they had Purple listed in there. They had Reggie Parks. Um and Dick's a bruiser. Those yeah. were the those were the ones to round it out. But yeah. uh, that's how that's how they did it. So whether or not the, the magazine wrestling world at that time called you know Minneapolis Wrestling Club and says, hey, you know who are the top ranked wrestlers? They yeah. just took the guys that were in the territory and put numbers in front of their name. And George Drake, for some reason, who was a jobber, <laughs> he got Maybe to be cut. God bless it, you know. He made the cut. There you go. <laughs> okay, so next question. Well, I'm, I'm going to say that's really, I mean, we kind of discussed everything. We we kind of willed it down to now it's, you know, the rating system is, you know, the big, you know, is not what it used to be, and, and it's unfortunate. And uh, I just think it's, uh, you know, like for us, like the Wrestling Fans International Association T-shirt I'm wearing, we're trying to get back to that where we have people send in match results, uh, you know, things like that, articles and pictures, and get that stuff in this newsletter that we're doing bi-monthly 
So I'm putting a little advertisement out there. Go to this website, thewfia.org. Sign up. It's free. If you're a member right now, if you become a member, you get the uh, digital newsletter for free, the hard copy, uh, the prices on the website if you want that. You just fill out a quick form and they'll send that out to you. George is a uh, senior advisor to, our, to that organization. Thank you. Uh, we really appreciate his advice uh, and giving us uh, input when we have these meetings. I am the executive assistant director. I'm not the man. I'm right below the man. The and we man wanna, in charge is Brad Drake, who's Brad Drake. No relation to George Catalina. We just talked about. No, but a great guy, and we have a wonderful board, and they're all listed on the website. We, uh, you know, we got advisors like Tom Burke and 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 Dave Brzezinski. Uh, we just got. We're trying to really get this going, and the ratings. Uh, you know, we're trying to get that going back as well by by either by the big one and by as well as by the uh, the independents. So, George, anything to add before we wrap it up? Well, I want to say one more thing about this issue. Sure. At the top right up here, you'll see it says they're going to take a look inside this issue at the top 50 wrestlers. Special look at the top 50 wrestlers. They yeah. actually list little bios, little pictures and little bios of the top 50, as they're calling what I found was interesting, and this ties into our ratings discussion, what I found interesting is when I looked at the top 50 that they're ranking, listed as number four was Cowboy Bob Ellis. Now, Bob Ellis was a great worker, a great wrestler, a great draw. But what was odd about him being listed in the top 50 wrestlers is that nowhere in any of the alleged official ratings rankings was Cowboy Bob Ellis listed anywhere. <laughs> so that's a contradictory. And then the other one that I found interesting was they had Ronnie Etchison as one of the top 50 wrestlers. They had him ranked at number 43. Now, Ronnie Etchison by 1966 had been wrestling for about, boy, I think like 23, 24, 25 years. He'd, he'd been around. Oh, wow. Good yeah. worker, good guy, good wrestler. I think he could shoot. Um, but he was, at that point in time in 1966, he was not in any equation drawing yeah. money. If he was working, he was in an opener or, you know, in a, in a low card putting someone over. But he was ranked as one of the top 50. So I, I wanted to just share that tidbit because that tells yeah. you how they just come across a lot of times with names. The interesting thing was, is of their top 50, they, I think they got this one right. Number one was Luthez. I think we got to start with Luthez in post-World War II. I think we always have mm -hmm. to start with Luthez, if you're going to rank yeah. legitimately, at least up to that time. Yeah. But it was interesting because uh, Vern Gagne was number three. I would have thought he would have been higher. They had Johnny Valentine listed. He wasn't uh, in any of the rankings or ratings in any of the magazines at the time. So that was kind of odd. Here is um, here is the final thing I want to touch on. All right. I hold up this issue, which is the January 1968 issue of Matt Mania magazine, which would have been very fundamental with your world, uh, your WFIA. Okay. Yes. They had inside, on the second page of this issue, right here, mm -hmm. they list the top 30 wrestlers. According, and strangely enough, he admits it, according to Burt Ray, who was the editor of Matt Mania at the time. Here's what's interesting about the top 30 wrestlers. I don't know how you count the 30. And come up with 35. <laughs> okay? Because right out of the shoot, right out of the shoot, number one, the number one rating, according to Burt Ray, was Fern Gagne 
and Gene Kaniski. They're number one. They're tied. Okay, so Gene Kaniski, one of them's number one. I, I don't think they both can be. Well, then I go yeah. down the list, and this one's really cool. I go down the list, and I get to number 11, and I see the Destroyer. That's rated, his rating, number number 11. Okay, that's cool. Well, then I get down to number 14, and they have Mad Dog Bashan and Dr. X. <laughs> tied. They're tied. But the odd part of it is, is that Dr. X is the destroyer. <laughs> so how can, how can he be number, how can he be number 11 and number 14 and be tied? And then I get down to number 22 and they listed Carl Gotch and Gorilla Monsoon in the same number. And then right under him, they have number 23, Billy Robinson and Tim Woods, who Modern fans would, or later fans would know as Mr. Wrestling. Wrestling and then yeah. towards the bottom, we have two more. We have number 28 is Don Leo Jonathan and Spiros Ariot, who was an East Coast wrestler. Yeah. And then under him, we have Gordon Nelson, and it's listed as Kanji Anoki, which is Ant- Antonio Anoki uh, later on. Okay. He, yeah. was working, he was working in California as Kanji Anoki. Okay. But, the whole premise here is you're going to list your top 30 wrestlers, but you list 35. It just doesn't – somehow you got to take somebody off the list. And you listed somebody twice. Yeah, and, and, and the Dr. X one just cracked me up. I said, oh, for the love of Peter, the Destroyer – and what this was 1968. So the Destroyer yeah. – and that's even funnier, to rank the Destroyer number 11. And by 1960, January of 68, the Destroyer had not appeared on any cards for at least five months. Oh, wow. Because he was working as Dr. X since August of 67. So there you go. There you go. Wow. All right. On that note. Opinion of the editor and all for discussion and fun. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Mr. George Shire for coming on. Really appreciate it. Always a bountiful of knowledge and information and factual. I mean, he's I've been to his house. I've been in the special room. And this guy has so much information. And it's not just scattered all over the place. It's well organized. Uh, it's cataloged. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. It, 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 God forbid, George, if something ever happens to you, sir, you ought to put all that in a museum. Well, you make me want, you make me want to go visit there. <laughs> because <laughs> it is just so, it's, it's wonderful. And, uh, thanks again for coming on, George. Folks, yeah. go to the WFIA.org website, check it out. Become a member. It's free. We're really trying to get this taken off and, and get some things going in the future. Check it out. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so. If you are listening, thank you. If you're watching, thank you. Subscribe today. If you're the 1,000th subscriber, my friend here, George Shire, is going to give you his book, The Gold, Minnesota Golden Age of Wrestling, From Vern Gange to the Royal Warriors, and signed by him personally. So subscribe to our channel. And again, if you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. And we will talk to you soon. Hey, this is Total Package. Lex Luger, you're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off the uh, building. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation.
Yo, this is Jerry Steins of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, here you get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, Tony here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... Tarzan, what's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Bruno was an early champion. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Aster, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiant? Well, actually, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did have anything to do? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, if you rules, as I always understood and wanted to use the title, could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation.